This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody, to Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always great to be with all of you. And uh, on this program, this podcast, you and I spend a little time talking about radical Islam, about Muslim reform, about some of the cross-sections of domestic and global policy, things that you just might, might not have gleaned from the politically obsessed media that uh, right now is is not only obsessed on the political on politics and elections but how to politicize a virus how to politicize covid-19 let's step away from that a little bit on today's episode as i often do and talk about two major things going on in the world of political radical islam the arab countries two things first lebanon chaos anarchy and Iran, what's coming to fruition there and what's happening, what has happened, just simply as a result of a massive explosion. What did that tip off and where are we at this week? Second, a case. You know, you and I have been talking about the intersection between radical Islam, between the Islamist with the the green, if you will, the green flags of the Islamic states, Muslim Brotherhood, etc., and the left, the far left, the hard left, the Antifas, the communists, the socialists, the far left that have worked together at the UN, have worked together in Congress, epitomized by the cooperation we see, for example, between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, and Ilhan Omar. Classic red-green access. We've seen this with BLM, Black Lives Matter, and the Islamist movement. This week there's a case where some attorneys for Islamists have shown their cards about what they're really all about. We're going to talk about that uh, thanks to the Investigative Project on Terrorism, and I think it has a lot of educational points in it. First, I'm going to use some of the uh, data, not only in news stories, but in... um, some of the poignant, poignant narratives of individuals coming from Lebanon, Beirut, and elsewhere about this massive explosion. Faisal Latani from the Center for Global Policy at Georgetown, professor of Middle East politics, had a piece in the New York Times, yes, in the New York Times, that delineated some of the details, I think, that highlight what's at play. And we had tons and tons, thousands of tons of ammonium nitrite that had been sitting at that port since 2013. Yes, 2013. Supposedly, and we still don't really know the facts, what we do know so far is probably what the Iranians, uh, 
Hezbollah wants you to know. So, again, to the point, if you look at Arabic media today, Arabic media today is highlighting the protests of tens, if not hundreds of thousands in the streets of Beirut using extreme profanity to describe their president, Michael Aoun. They want him out. They feel like the explosion is a metaphor of the incompetence, the corruption, and the colonization of Lebanon by Iran, by Assad, by Syria, by every Shia militant in that Shia crescent. What's the Shia crescent? It came from, it extends from Iran to Iraq, to Syria, and then into Lebanon. And why Lebanon is so important for Hezbollah is not only because they have 50% of Shia, 50% of Muslims in Lebanon are Shia, but because of the port, because of the the Mediterranean presence. But as Faisal points out, it was business as usual. So many American Arabs have hailed families uh, of families from Lebanon. 50 to 60% of American Arabs are of Lebanese descent. Why? Because of the mass immigration in the early to mid-20th century. The port that blew up, Faisal points out, was part of the critical infrastructure in an economy rejuvenating after 15 years of civil war. It had re-emerged after years of a civil war. Faisal points to some of the digital log-keeping that had finally been transformed. But that port had been rendered, as he said, unusable during the Civil War by sunken vessels and unexploded ordnance, save one area controlled by a militia. The rest was left to waste, cutting off an economic jugular that Lebanon could have been using. But the Lebanon that emerged from that rubble is gone, gradually choked by a cynical political class. And yesterday, or this week, as Faisal points out, it was finished off. The port of Beirut was blown up in an explosion that killed almost 150, wounded more than four to 5,000, and destroyed blocks of a city with an explosion that was felt all the way to Cyprus. All the way to Cyprus, an island way off. The type of catastrophe which decades of war and political instability were poor preparation. But the usual suspects, be it Hezbollah, jihadist, Assad, were not necessarily at cause. What it showed is a rot, a corruption, a lack, a waste, if you will, of processes for cleaning up, for maintaining order, and preventing chaos. And naturally, when you have chaos... You have explosions, you have violence, you have eruptions, and that's exactly what happened to this ammonium nitrate that supposedly, by reports so far, had been seized from a Moldovan vessel and then put into a warehouse out of that vessel. Ship laid to waste, the ammonium nitrate was put into a warehouse and left there for years. An explosion waiting to happen. 
they claim they claim that a welding accident ignited nearby fireworks which caused the ammonium nitrite to explode that's why you saw an initial smoke and fire pluming and that's why we had so much video photography of the actual massive explosion was that people were taking pictures of the smoke of the fire and then the second massive explosion happened that the 2700 tons of ammonium nitrate went off and this explosion highlights highlights symbolically and metaphorically the division and the anarchy that has become Lebanese politics every year every decade every generation in the past two to three generations in Lebanon there has been talk about how weak how unstable how fractionated the Lebanese government has been but now it has begun to be unified by one thing which is corruption which is Iranian control and an asset which is typically an asset is its diversity has now become its greatest liability. Let's step away from Lebanon for a second. If you look at Iraq, one of the reasons Iraq is now floundering and becoming utterly destroyed by the chaos and divisiveness and tribalism is its diversity. And without chaperoning from Western democracies like America, France, England, like our troops were doing, as we pulled out, it allowed... Iran to lay waste to Iraq and let the tribes kill each other so that they can pick up the pieces and control the economy. That's why the Kurds have now begun to turn to Russia as they also have seen their influence wane. But the diversity in Iraq is, I think, one of the things that could have made it a successful democracy. Democracy is successful when you have a less homogenous population where there's different factions of religion, different factions of ideas, etc. So they have to come together towards the center. But without the rule of law, without civil society, without morality, you have anarchy, you have corruption, and you have the triumph of tyranny and oppressive influences. And in Iraq, it was Iran, and similarly now in Lebanon, it has become Iran, with its proxy, Hezbollah. And what do we see? Ports, for example, if we go back to the metaphor of this port and its explosion, they're prime real estate for political, criminal, and militia factions. Security agencies fight, fight over control of ports and the products and the economy coming in, I can tell you as an American Syrian, if you look at the, at the influence that the Assad regime had over the last 50 years, the control of the economy in Lebanon through Syrian intelligence, the control of cellular industry by certain family members of the Assad family that included not only Syria but Lebanon, Lebanese economy and Syrian intelligence was a huge aspect of Assad's power, that it wasn't just the oppression and tyranny that he had in Syria, but it was also the nearby Lebanon and its feckless and completely ineffective government that allowed Assad to continue in power in Syria. So 
part of the weakening of the Assad family happened when Syria began to pull out of Lebanon. Now, it never really pulled out. It figuratively did because it pulled out its troops. But economically and, and through its intelligence and through its graft, it never stopped influencing a significant portion of the Lebanese economy. The culture, as Faisal points out, of negligence, petty corruption, and blame-shifting endemic to Lebanese bureaucracy, all overseen by a political class defined by its incompetence and contempt for public good. And this was all fueled by Hezbollah, fueled by Iranian influence and control. Now, whether the fireworks were moved next to it, intentionally, or not, it really highlighted the irresponsible work practices that are part of the Lebanese economy, the Lebanese culture, not the Lebanese people. But the last 50 years has rotted the culture of what used to be the Paris. Beirut used to be the Paris of the Middle East. Lebanon was a weak but thriving democracy. Weak in that it never really had a military that was able to protect it. And those, you know, you see the anti-Semites. The anti-Semites come out of their rocks again this week. You saw a guy by the name of C.J. Whirlman, guy who has 250,000 followers, and his uh, profile basically states that uh, he's a columnist for Byline Times and Inside Arabia. This guy makes a post that basically proves how anti-Semitism is oozing from his pores. He said Israel has become an online troll version of a nation-state. It thinks the rest of the world has forgotten it has spent 53 years bombing and occupying Lebanon and carrying out targeted assassinations against Lebanese and Palestinian figures and civilians. Seriously? And he did this because CNN had a story on Tel Aviv lights up at City Hall with the Lebanese flag and a sign of solidarity. Oh, and he got all mad because I said he was anti-Semitic, when in fact, he said he just criticized the state of Israel. He must take his followers for idiots. Trying to equate Israeli operations in Lebanon, which they, by the way, vacated over 20 years ago, and simply responses to attacks by Hezbollah into Israel with missiles in 2006 and then in 2014, those two occasions equal the, the complete devastation that Syria and Iran via Hezbollah, a terrorist organization by every Western country designated, that's running Lebanon completely, that has vacated that this week hundreds of thousands of Lebanese go to the street to protest Hezbollah's influence, not only this week, but month after month. And this Anti-Semite wants to attack Israel. To say, well, Israel is a state and criticizing is not anti-Semitism, but this type of just pathological propaganda against the Jewish state is classic anti-Semitism as defined by the State Department report on new anti-Semitism, as it's called, where anti-Semites equate Nazism and other fascistic evil ideologies with the democratic state of Israel. It is absurd. 
it is absurd and i think you know it's not just whirlman but it's 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 a number of other islamists that have had nothing negative nothing negative to say about the Syrians, the Assad, Assadists in Lebanon, the Khomeinists who've destroyed Iraq and now Lebanon, nothing. But they want to use it as an opportunity to again spew their anti-Semitism. And another thing that was fantastic that's happened, uh, I, I'm not typically a fan, Not to, I'm, I'm, let me make that stronger. I detest Twitter intervening in labeling posts and things like that. It's just... It's not what they're supposed to be doing. But I will take a little frosting from that in that there is a online, a real troll by the name of Rania Khalik, who's a Lebanese activist, uh, bought and paid for by Hezbollah Iran and its Russian access. Right? That access of Russia, Iran, and Hezbollah is a triangular propaganda operation along with Assad globally. And her now her profile on In the Now, which is a a highly funded, well funded, I should say, video operation that puts out little vignettes that are often viral against America, against Israel, against Europe, against democracies, and always pro-Islamist and pro-Khomeinist, pro-Assad. She's been on my radar because she's a asset apologist, and obviously we've been working with the Free Syria secular movement. But she was identified in the now, is now identified as Russia state-affiliated media. Russia state-affiliated media, so that's a little frosting for you. But this whole propaganda operation is in high gear now trying to dismiss this explosion as nothing. It's just, you know, they need to get uh, uh, um, aid and other things and forgetting the fact that it's actually a classic example of dysfunction that is Lebanon, that is anything that the Khomeinist touch turns into evil. 60% of the imports come through the port of Beirut in Lebanon, or at least they used to. And the timing could not be worse. Economic crisis has devastated Lebanon. They are in debt $70 billion. The Foundation for the Defense of Democracy recently published a report that it would take $70 billion by the IMF to bail out Lebanon, the Lebanese economy before they default. So their economy is on the verge of actual collapse. Hundreds of thousands of people can no longer buy fuel, food, or medicine. As Faisal points out and finishes his article and says, the Lebanese have seen their savings wiped out, their purchasing power disappear. A new vocabulary appeared among even his optimistic Lebanese friends. Doomed, hopeless. And this is all on top of the coronavirus closure of businesses. Shock is going to turn to anger. And this is what the demonstrations this week are showing as they're calling for the immediate ouster of Michael Aoun, Will there be a revolution? I think it's about time that the Lebanese spring, the cedar revolution, turn into an actual revolution for the ouster defeat and dissolution of the influence of Hezbollah. Now, it may need a fractionating country. It may need a division into the part annexed with Syria 
which is the Hezbollah version, and then the rest with the Christians and Sunnis, Druze and other diverse faiths and political ideologies. There are many obstacles, and we'll see in the next few weeks what's going to happen. But watch Lebanon, ladies and gentlemen. Watch it, because it will be a sign. It's a small country, yes, but right bordered with Israel, bordered with Syria. Large munitions, large attempts to control economic inflow into the region, and that Shia crescent. You rot the tip of the Shia crescent, and Hezbollah dies off there, and Iran will be defeated. And Russia will feel the pains also. If the rest of the Lebanese people are defeated and Hezbollah takes locks in control of Lebanon, then this long conflict will go from cold to warm. So I think it's important. We've learned a lot this week. Next, I want to talk to you about a piece, investigative work that's done by Pete, uh, Patrick Dunleavy with the Investigative Project, former counterterrorism expert with NYPD, and ultimately his piece on CARE and Miami's protest and one of its own getting arrested is quite instructive. So remember I talked to you about this Red-Green Alliance, right, between the BLM folks and the Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers at the Council on American Islamic Relations and other Islamist movements, including the Islamic Circle of North America, including the Nation of Islam and other radical Islamists. On June 10, Dunleavy points out that a protest against racial inequality in Miami was happening. 60 protesters blocked streets near the city's Torch of Friendship downtown. Protests turned violent when they moved into Miami's Bayfront Park, destroying property damaging two statues, one of Christopher Columbus and the other of Ponce de Leon. Police tried to break up the demonstration, told the crowd to disperse. Protesters attacked them. Some were arrested on charges of assault, criminal mischief, resisting arrest and inciting a riot. One of them, 18-year-old Alaa Masri, allegedly hit an officer as he tried to arrest another protester. She, along with the others arrested, were taken to the Dade's Correction Center, Miami-Dade Correction Center, to be processed and detained pending a court appearance. Charges were dropped against four of the seven arrested, including Massery, and they were released from custody. And this is what they said. Miami State's attorney said, the state of Florida is unable to file charges in this case because the state will not be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant intentionally and unlawfully struck the police officer. But Mastery, a college student, launched a petition drive claiming that her treatment at the jail amounted to an appalling violation of her religious rights. So wait, after the arrest, her religious rights were infringed. Okay, that can happen. Let's see what, what she says, what she claims was that religious right. 
Masri, who by her own admission has been involved in a number of protests that ended with police action, had to remove her clothing while being searched and claimed that personnel at the Dade Center forcibly removed her hijab and that she was photographed without it during the process. She claims they didn't let her put the hijab back on for hours. She filed a petition garnering signatures online saying that she's required to cover her hair with a traditional headscarf or hijab. She repeatedly made officers aware of this fact, yet they still removed it in front of male police officers, completely disrespecting her way of life. They consciously took away her rights to be a woman, practicing Islam and spread an image that she never thought would be out in the world. And here comes Florida, CARE Florida Attorney Omar Saleh. No Islamists they won't defend, is there? Right? His colleague, Hassan Chibli, defended the ISIS brides. Remember? We'll talk about that in a sec. But Saleh said, We believe that the Miami police's forceful removal of Ms. Ala Masri's hijab for a public booking is a severe violation of her constitutional protected freedoms. And then she, they linked to a fundraising campaign for her legal fees and already garnered over $26,000. And the money supposedly to defend against charges that were never brought. <laughs> and then it's going to cost civil suit. It's going to cover the cost of her civil suit for her religious freedoms. So Hassan Shibli, the other previous ISIS attorney, the ISIS, the admitted ISIS bride who wanted to bring back her children and wanted lighter sentence for her bad choices and yet never, never denounced all the anti-American, anti-Semitic and other horrific things she said, but simply said she made bad choices. On this case, Shibli, who's also from Aleppo, Syria, by the way, his family's from as I've mentioned before, same neighborhood as mine. Similar neighborhood, nearby neighborhoods in Aleppo, Syria, a large city of 4 million people, but also second generation, I believe. This guy, though, is an Islamist sympathizer, a Sharia sympathizer who has never advocated against political Islam, Muslim Brotherhood, or other Islamist causes. <laughs> Mesri called her arrest a personal attack and that the removal of Rejab was a police attempt to humiliate her. Really? Did he do any research about what happens to anyone who's booked with head covering and complete covering that the police want to know what could be hiding within there? Objects that can be used for suicide, things that can be used for harming others, drugs and countless other paraphernalia that are found after a strip search? constitutional violations, religious freedom, intimidation tactics. Yeah, that, as, as Dunleavy points out, it would be horrible if it were true, but the record and the law show it's not. She's not singled out because she was a Muslim. Her search, which included the removal of all her clothing, was neither a violation of the Constitution's Fourth Amendment on searches nor the First, Amendment, First Amendment's protection of religious liberty. Actually, in 2012, as Dunleavy points out, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that people being processed into a detention center after arrest, no matter the severity of their charges, were permitted to be subject to a strip search. 
There was no religious exemption for a yarmulke, a pagri from Sikh, or a hijab. The Miami-Dade Corrections and Rehab Officer and Manager said that the department has policies in place in order to accommodate inmates who wear head coverings for religious reasons. Arrestees who claim or appear to be of a particular faith are allowed to keep their head covering once it's been searched for contraband and the booking photograph has been taken. That's the policy. So, you have to reflect here. Why let an anarchical act of violence go to waste? Okay, charges weren't filed. They didn't feel they had incontrovertible evidence. But it doesn't seem that all these attorneys for civil rights are ever saying that she denied She denied trying to commit an act of violence against police officers. No. So the premise, the premise of this entire thing has to do with victimology, identity politics, and exploiting a hijab. By the way, a hijab which supposedly signifies a conservative, a conservative, very humble approach to Islam. Now, I, I, don't, I don't buy that nonsense. I don't uh, believe that that's part of conservatism in Islam, but just if, bear with me a second here as far as profiling the ideologies that come with it. And here you have an anarchist that's working side by side with folks who don't share any of her values. Supposedly, that the conservative, puritanical Islamists that are hijab-wearing and other aspects. Now, I'm not against the hijab. I disagree with it. But certainly women have the right to wear it, no different than any religion does to wear their head covering. But this is an act in search of a crime. There's no crime here. In fact, it is standard operating procedure, as it should be for folks that are brought into detention. And it sort of shows that this this mess that the Red-Green Alliance is creating with Black Lives Matter and all the Islamists, etc., is trying at every point possible, just like with uh, this week with the ACLU, right? CARE claims to be the ACLU of the Islamists. This week, the ACLU came out saying that President Trump's position on TikTok is against American values. Oh, so are the ACLU really that tone deaf and that idiotic that it's really simply about outlawing an app that is used for expression by youth or whoever uses it for video expression? That's not what it's about. It's an app whose data, whose central servers are controlled by a government that's using that data to destroy our country to destroy and control our elections and other aspects of our free markets and our free society and democracy. So therefore, that is a security risk. And this is not about American companies, but the ACLU to come to the defense of TikTok sort of shows clearly that it's not about civil liberties. It is about politics and anti-conservatism and, and, and left-right politics. We see the same thing with the ADL that can't seem to find any cause 
that they may agree with with the right, but constantly is silent about care in the Islamists. And it's all about politics because of their far-left politics, not about actually standing up for the rights of those who would be against anti-Semitism, who may be for free speech and against the Islamists and all those groups that are fomenting anti-Semitism. So many examples of this, but I do think that the case of Al-Masri in Florida points out that within the Black Lives Matter movement are radicals that are going to create opportunities for Islamist lawyers like Hassan Shibli, Omar Saleh, in, in, in CARE Florida and others to exploit and use as a weapon of propaganda against our police, our government, and our security. As always, thank you for joining me. It is always great to be with all of you. Please stay safe. Join us here every week on Reform This as I bring you the front lines in the battle against the red-green axis, against the Islamist movements and for reform. Follow me on Twitter at Reform This Radio and at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R on Twitter. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Thank you. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.